Punk Rock HR is brought to you by employee experience company Limeade, helping every employee know their company cares. Join us virtually for their annual conference, Limeade Engage, on March 9th. It's packed with tools, insights, best practices, and networking to drive well-being, engagement, and inclusion in 2021 and beyond. Head on over to Limeade.com to register today. You'll look at some of this, what I call best work projects, these sort of change-making initiatives that we're talking about. And I'll talk to an executive or a manager and I'll be like, so what's the holdup on there? And they're like, well, there's a document and we've done it. And I'm like, so where are we on the document? And when we look at it, it's like three sentences in the document that need to be finished for this thing to be able to roll out. And I'm like, so you're meaning to tell me that this thing that is going to make work better, going to make morale better, and going to make your business better is held up for three sentences? Hey everybody, I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome to Punk Rock HR. Today's guest is my friend, Charlie Gilkey. He's a founder and CEO, but also an author of a really terrific book called Start Finishing, How to Go from Idea to Done. Charlie is on the show today because he has deep expertise in helping people get out of the weeds and finish things that matter. And in today's show, we talk about all the good stuff, procrastination, inertia, the excuses we make to ourselves, and even COVID, how all of this just comes together and creates an environment where we're not doing the things we were meant to do on this planet. So if you're someone who's noodling big ideas for 2021 and beyond, we'll sit back and enjoy this conversation with Charlie Gilkey. Hey, Charlie, welcome to the podcast. Lori, thanks so much for having me. I am stoked to be here this morning. Well, I'm glad to have you here. It's been a long time coming. I'm a big fan. And rather than me just lavish accolades on you, why don't we start at the beginning and you give us kind of your two minute origin story. Who are you and what are you all about? That's a good one. So I'll go back to the semi origin story because, you know, we don't want to go back to childhood and things like that. I really started this work that I'm doing at Productive Flourishing when I had redeployed from being an army officer in Operation Iraqi Freedom. I was deployed to support that. I was a logistics officer. And so largely my job was to make sure that stuff got where it needed to go across multiple different companies and units and, and things like that. So that's what I did. And I came back and two weeks after returning, not the way that I would recommend people do this, by the way, I was back in grad school for philosophy. So I was going towards getting my PhD in philosophy. And about four months into it, I was like, you know, I've got this problem. On the one hand, I know how to move battalions worth of equipment and do all of that coordination and all of that stuff, right? Which seems like it would be really hard to do. And it is. But this 5,000 word essay is kicking my butt. How do those two things go together? And I realized a bit later, but in that moment, I was like, well, I'm going to do what every researcher and every scholar and every officer is like, I'm not the only person with this problem. So what have other people tried? What are the books about that? So I started reading the books, the seven habits, the getting things done and things like that. And what I found, Lori, is I kept having to translate so much, translate and synthesize, take this part, not take that part, take this part. Because what I really realized is that my issue was this messy middle of projects. 
one side of the literature talked about big ideas and values and dreams, and that's all great. And this other side of the literature, more to the productivity side of the literature, talked about like very tactical, like get things done and hacking things. But I was gripped with these projects and how they intersected and how they layered. So my work became figuring out how to, on my own, manage that messy middle, but also teach others because I realized, wait a second, other people have this problem. And how do we do this? And what I found is, especially when it comes to creative work, especially when it comes to this crazy thing where we take this thing that matters to us and do all the work that it takes to do and then pull it out of us and then show it to the world and say, do you like it? Does it work? That was a missing gap at the time. Well, I love any author who writes a book that he needs himself. And so that's what you've done. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about your book, what it's called and what the big idea in there is all about. So the book is called Start Finishing and it walks through a nine-step process for taking an idea and moving it through the different phases to you know, convert it to a project, to build a plan around it, to get that plan on your schedule, to work out the inevitable stuff that happens so that you can push it to done. And the reason why it focuses so much on that is because you know so many of us see this gap between the best version of ourselves, our best work, our best business, our best team, and our day-to-day reality. Those two don't match up for a lot of us. And it turns out that finishing certain types of projects is what builds that bridge between your current reality, that day-to-day reality, and that best version of yourself, your family, your team, your business that matters most to you. So Mm -hmm. if you're not doing the work via projects, it's not going to happen. And I love how you've taken the principles of this book and applied it to your own life through many different challenges. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? What are some stories you have about using your own manuscript, right? Drinking your own champagne, eating your own dog food. You're living this book. So tell us a little bit more about that. That's part of the issue is if you really want to create a tool to beat yourself up, there are three types of books that you can write. One is a memoir, really hard to do. The second is a book on writing. And the third is a book on productivity, right? Because every step along the way, you have this constant check on your integrity, not like character integrity, but integrity with the work and the message and the feel like, are you doing what you say you do? Has this really haunted you, this idea that you've got to be as good as your books? Well, I was this guy before the book published, right? And the book just amplified that, right? So you can't be the guy that focuses on finishing and not be able to finish, right? You can from a marketing perspective, but for me, from a personal character, it's like, I got to do the work. You wrote this book about getting stuff done and you've had some pretty significant challenges in your life, whether it's, you know, personal issues with your wife or your own weight loss journey. Talk to me a little bit about that. How has this book really manifested in your life? Recently, how this book has manifested is when we look at the events of COVID and everything that shifted in the business, you know, we're currently in the process of writing what turned out to be a six part big news post because there are six things that that have really major changes that have happened in the business because of COVID, right? But what's happened is we've done a lot of projects that have created new realities that we couldn't see before, right? And so um, one of those projects, we launched a academy for our community, right? Where we were like, it's a monthly paid membership. We don't know exactly how it's going to turn out, but we know we need to do it. And it's taught us so much, right? In the sense of we're like, okay, well, we're doing it. And things like, oh, people want this type of content that we've sort of backburnered and didn't think was important, right? They want that type of thing. Oh, they want this type of event that we kind of wondered about, but like they told us because we did a thing, right? We did a thing and had the courage to get it out there before we had everything figured out. We were able to fix it on the fly. And that has been catalytic 
to our business and how we think about the brand and how we think about how we serve our people, right? But it really was this idea that was someday, maybe later, you know, one of those ideas that I've been meaning to get to for two or three years and COVID struck. And I'm like, well, COVID displaced a lot of other things that we were going to do, but this need remained. And I was like, this Mm -hmm. is the perfect time for it. I don't have it figured out. Let's go. One of the people you consult with in the book and has really big ideas is Seth Godin. And one of the reasons why Seth Godin is one of my personal heroes is because he's really reinforced this idea of shipping it, right? Mm -hmm. Perfect is the enemy of good. Get it out, get it into the ecosystem because your version of perfect anyway is going to be beat to hell by your customers, your users. So just get it out and get some early feedback. So I love these principles in the book. What are some other ways that you want people to know that they can get stuff done? Well, one of the ideas in the book is, well, I'll give two that are related. We don't do ideas. We do projects. And the reason I say that is because so many of us creative folks are running around and we're coming up with a bunch of these ideas and we apply a little bit of commitment juice to all those ideas that we have, right? It's like, oh, that's a great idea. And there's this implicit, I should do that. And then all of a sudden we're in our head, we're fighting about not doing that idea, so on and so forth. And what I want to say is like, no, you haven't committed to anything when you get a great idea. You only commit to it when you convert it into a project. And if you're not doing anything with an idea, it's because you haven't converted it into a project. And so I start wanting people to get serious, like, okay, you've got this idea. First question, are you going to convert it into a project or not? I want us to get as creative people into sort of these yes, no binaries. And I know creative people hate that, but it's a very simple question. You've got this idea. Are you committed to doing something with it? Yes or no. And if the answer is yes, okay, the next step, right? And we can start walking through these steps to go through there. But I think all too often we get that great idea and we've already committed to doing it, but we haven't committed to doing the work of getting it on our schedule, of getting and building a team around this of dealing with the inevitable thrashing that comes up as we start seeing that maybe this idea or project is a little bit outside of our comfort zone. Maybe we're not the right person to do it. We don't do that work. And yet those ideas work on us. But it's so interesting to me because people are walking around with a notepad of these great things they would do if only. If only they had the time, if only they had the support, if only they had money, if only their boss was nicer. And I wonder what the deal is with these stories that we tell ourselves and how do you even overcome this homeostasis in your life? What I'm so glad you mentioned there is, you know, in chapter two of the book, I talk about the air sandwich and I've sort of referenced it a little bit, but that's, you know, the idea that your big dreams and all those things that are at the top, imagine it's like a slice of a sandwich and on the top slice of bread, you have your big dreams, you have your values, you have your purpose, you have all those big capital letter words, right? And on the bottom, you have your day-to-day reality. It's a big gap. I talked about that gap. But that's an illusion because in those gaps are some of the things that you've mentioned and they sort of come down to five different things. One of those things is competing priorities. You want to do too many things or you have too many obligations and so on and so forth. So competing priorities. Second is head trash. Just the stories that you tell yourself, the limiting beliefs, the I can'ts, I shoulds, all those types of things that comes into head trash. The third is no realistic plan. All three of those words being important. No plan no realistic plan and something that's masquerading as a plan, but it's really not a plan. The fourth of those is too few resources. And so you mentioned that time, money, people, capital, whatever. And the fifth is poor team alignment. And so you've got people around you. You might have a group, but you don't have a team. You have a team, but they're working across purposes or in different purposes. So they're not aligned or you're not aligned with yourself if you consider yourself a team. So yeah, what happens then is that we inevitably end up stuck. And the reason why we mentioned it earlier, I'm a former military officer. I always want to break down challenges into their constituent parts and look at which of those parts, if we remove them or address them, is going to get us the biggest lift, which is why I inevitably you know, just off the gate, I'm going to check against competing priorities and head trash. 
Those are my go-tos because those two are nicely linked. It's like, oh, well, I want to launch this business, but I want to be a great mom. And somewhere they make the tension that they can't do both. And so these ideas remain stuck because they're like, well, if I do this business idea, I'm going to be a crappy mom. I don't want to be a crappy mom, so I'm not going to do the business idea, but I do want to do the business idea. How do I make that work? And they in themselves stuck with a no-win scenario. And so I think why people have all of these ideas and don't move them is one is the air sandwich. They just really haven't done the work to figure out what their priorities are. And I'm not trying to say that in a way that disrespects someone's character. It's hard work. It is hard work to figure out and say, you know what, this is what I'm about and this is what I'm going to do. And here's what I'm willing to negotiate and here's what I'm not. And holding that line is really, really challenging for people. Hey, everybody, Lori Rudiman here. With employee burnout on the rise, engagement faltering, and productivity wavering, companies are turning to HR to re-engage the workforce and create a more positive employee experience. That's why I'd like you to join me for Limeade Engage, the virtual event of the year for HR and company leaders. Limeade Engage kicks off on March 9th with speakers like Lennon Doyle and Ali Love of Peloton and me. I've been twice and it was terrific. Be inspired to take the lead to elevate the employee experience, gain the tools and insights to apply Limeade research and industry best practices to your own organization, and connect with your peers as we navigate 2021 and beyond together. The difficulties of 2020 have taught us a lot about the importance of a great employee experience. Now it's your chance to put these learnings to work and create a strong employee experience that drives real business results. Sign up for Limeade Engage at Limeade.com. That's Limeade.com and I'll look forward to seeing you there. Those words, hard work are so interesting to me because I think anything worth doing is probably hard. And yet everything in the world is hard right now. COVID makes it hard. The general state of the world and conflict makes it hard. All the racial tension that we've had for millennia makes it hard. So when someone is really immersed in a very legitimately hard world, what does it take inside of them to move out of that mindset? Part of it is I want to recant on language that I introduced into the conversation. And that's around hard work. I'm thinking about it from the perspective, and it's a Buddhist perspective in the sense of there's a difference between pain and suffering. Pain is what happens to you. Suffering is the story that you tell about it and sort of the narrative that you wrap around that. And this didn't end up in the book because as I did more talking about it, I started talking more about hard work. And I want to draw out the distinction between something that's difficult versus something that's hard. And that same sort of thing. I think many of the things that matter most to us are difficult to do. There has just a natural degree of difficulty and complexity and figuring out that has to happen. Where we trip ourselves up is when we make it hard, hmm. when we start telling stories about what we're capable of doing what we're not capable of doing. And then the first thing that I want to say on this one is I want people to embrace that discomfort, what I call the thrashing of doing difficult slash hard work and understand that that's not a sign that they're doing something wrong. It might be a sign that they're doing something right. Because think about it, Lori, we don't thrash about doing the dishes or taking the trash out or cutting our grass, or we either do it or we don't do it. There's not this pseudo existential crisis. Am I good enough? Is this my work? Is this my calling? But it's when it matters most to us. Do I want to marry this person? Which I count as a project. I forgot to mention that earlier. That was the second thing. Projects are anything that take time, energy, and attention. And it's not just work stuff. What we do is we only count work projects mm -hmm. on our list of things to do. And our life projects don't get any billing, especially women. 
end up doing so much of the life project and work and kin keeping, but don't count that even though it's counted most by our society. It's what matters most, but it's not counted. So it ends up being a lot of these loops and head trash. So going back to what you're asking here, first off is realizing that if you're thrashing, it doesn't mean you're broken and it's a bad idea or anything like that. It might just mean that you've chosen something that matters to you and that you should run towards it. And that every time any of us do something like this, we all feel that same thing. And if you don't feel that tug, that discomfort, you might not be playing your best game. You might be sort of phoning it in. So what if we remove the story that worry about whether the project is going to work, that idea that you're not good enough, the imposter syndrome, what if we remove that and say, that's a natural part of the process of doing things that matter most. Then we can move on and say, okay, now what? And so that's really step one is just to understand that. Step two is to really start looking at the no-win scenarios that you've created for yourself. Because I mentioned this earlier where it's like, well, I want to be a great mom, but I want to be a great business person and I can't win at both. So I'm going to shoot for some sort of gray mediocrity in the middle where I'm neither going to be a great mom And I'm neither going to be great at business, but no one gets mad at me, right? If I win big, then I'm a terrible mom. And then people are mad at me. If I fail, then people are mad at me because customers and money and all sorts of things. But this gray middle where I'm getting this constant B or B plus, no one gets mad about that. That's so interesting because I think that's the way many people work and operate in their corporate jobs. And I think we're doing our jobs best when nobody is mad or everybody is mad, (laughs) you know? But it's just the swath of mediocrity and it's really hard to bust out of that mindset. It's a hermeneutic of mediocrity. It's like this big thing that surrounds us because if we take a risk, it feels as if the consequences are so huge, we'll just step back into what everybody knows. What do you think about corporate America that way? Unfortunately, corporate America does round off the edges because they want a consistent process, a consistent product, a consistent experience, right? And so when you have a bunch of punk rockers come in and do something different, or if you have that person that wears the pink glasses come in with her great ideas, they're like, mm, this has to be sort of vanilla up the middle. I don't know about the pink glasses woman. I think what we look at is when you look at who actually gets promoted and you look at who excels and who leaves the company because they've reached a ceiling, it's those people pushing that A game, right? That aren't rounding off the corners. And unfortunately, what can happen depending upon the ossification of your corporation is that the best change makers don't have anywhere to go or grow. So they leave. And the organization at the top only has enough seats for these visionaries and change makers. And so they hold the fief down and you don't get to be one of them because if you're one of them, then I don't get to be that. So there's all those types of dynamics that happen in our team habits and things like that, which is why we end up with this slice where it's like, you know what? I'm that person already has the seat. I can't do it. But the funny thing about it is, and this is actually the genesis of the current book that I'm working on. When you talk to senior managers, And when you talk to senior executives, they're like, why aren't my people taking more initiative? Why aren't they coming up with great ideas? What's going on here, right? Because what we really want them to do is to to go do their great ideas. And they keep coming to us and asking what we should do. And why am I telling you how to do your job? That's what I hired you for. So that's where it's really funny for me as an executive coach. And so I'll sort of flip it and just say, so what are you doing to create that team habit and culture? And if you're the one responsible for team habits and team culture, and this is what happens, what are you doing about it? We're not talking about them anymore. <laughs> we're talking about you and the system. So let's take That's some ownership right. there and figure out what we're going to do because they're doing that because you incentivize that. Well, you've incentivized that or you've put the fear of God in them to behave that way or nothing good will happen to their individual careers. And I think this is you know, really important to this conversation because you have individuals in 
positions where they could really make a difference. You know, when I think about my friends in human resources, I often say they're at the intersection of work, power, politics, and money. Everything good in this world could be changed if we unleash HR. But there is such a fear and nobody gets any of the good stuff done. We talk about wage inequality. We talk about discrimination. We talk about bias. We keep talking about it. It never gets done. It never gets fixed, which is why I'm so interested to have you on this podcast, because that's an audience right there that if they did more of the good stuff and finish those projects, they could change the world. What do you think about that? I'm sure you've seen this in your work as well, where you'll look at some of this, what I call best work projects, these sort of change-making initiatives that we're talking about. And I'll talk to an executive or manager and I'll be like, so what's the holdup on there? Like, where are we in the work on that? And they're like, well, there's a document and we've done it. And I'm like, so where are we on the document? And when we look at it, it's like three sentences in the document that need to be finished for this thing to be able to roll out. And it's like, oh, but I don't know if we say that one word, then it will all unfurl. And then legal's talking to me and HR's talking to me. I'm like, so you're meaning to tell me that this thing that is going to make work better, going to make morale better and going to make your business better is held up for three sentences. Yeah, it's really yeah. frustrating, which is why I no longer enjoy doing that work in human resources and really want to empower people to take ownership of their careers and really be their own HR and run their lives like a business. And I'm so fascinated to have you on here. And as we start to wrap up the conversation, I know there are some core ideas that you want to get out to this audience, these big ideas around finishing work, doing great work and getting it done so they can move on to the next great project. What do you want to leave our listeners with? I'm going to do a callback to our previous thread, Lori, right? Because I'm, I'm sensing that a lot of people are frustrated about that three sentences is not done that's keeping things working. So I'm just going to flip it. What are your three sentences? What is your work that's held up by a few small things that if you just push through that last little bit would make the difference in building this bridge that you're trying to build towards your best life. So if you were mad about someone else's three sentences, do the work to identify your own and push that forward. So that's one thing. Whenever you get super frustrated about other people's patterns, understand that you might be seeing your own pattern in somebody else. The second thing that I would say on this one is where people struggle is by not building a success pack, right? I talk about this in the book a little bit more, but long story short is the group of people around you that are going to fuel this project that are going to keep you from, you know, going through a thrash crash and giving up on it. Because once you commit to enough people that actually matter and they're the right people, not the naysayers, but the yaysayers, it makes doing work easier. And the tip here that most people are going to push back on because they always do is you build your pack before you build your plan. Most people try to build this perfect plan where they figured everything out and then go to the people that matter most and say, here it is. Is it good? Right. And then the only question or the only engagement point that the success back has is yes or no. Right. After they've done 12, 18 months of researching and planning. So what would happen if you said, I want to do this thing, I'm committed to doing this thing. I roughly know where I'm trying to go, but I don't know how I'm going to get there. Will you help me? How can you help me? It's just a game changer, Lori, but it makes you practice courage and vulnerability, right? It makes you get off of this high horse that you know everything, right? That you've got it figured out and actually invite people into your process. And the third thing that I would say on this one is this is a really all-inclusive one, but like realize that the plan that you make is just a guide for action. And when it's no longer guiding action, throw it away and start over if you need to. Too many people get stuck on the plan and what they decided to do three months ago without realizing that reality has changed. And what we try to do is change reality 
when the easier thing to do would be to change our plan, right? And so as much as I want you to do the difficult work and to embrace the difficult parts, like don't make it unnecessarily difficult by just butting up against, you know, the fact that this world has gravity and your plan did not account for that. What are you going to do about it? Don't try to change the gravity, change your plan. Charlie, what wise words. I really appreciate that. If people want to get to know you, learn a little bit more about the book, where do you think they should go? What's the best place? If you're interested in the book, you can go to startfinishingbook.com. So let's just startfinishingbook.com and it'll show you a little bit more about what the book's about. You can download a free chapter. Um, you know, we can sort of have a conversation before you buy the book if you want to go that way. Um, the other place would be my website, Productive Flourishing. That's where it sort of holds the greater body of work that includes work on entrepreneurship, work on foundational stuff like getting things done, but also topics on conscious leadership and conscious business management. I love it. Thanks again for being a guest on Punk Rock HR. Lori, thanks so much for having me. Hey, everybody. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Punk Rock HR, sponsored by Limeade Engage. Learn how to build an employee experience for what comes next. Join me for LimeadeEngage.com on March 9th, the virtual event of the year for HR and company leaders. Head on over to Limeade.com to register today. Now that's all for this week's show, and I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Punk Rock HR. <laughs>